And I want to talk this morning simply about some of the things that ought to be necessities for us as Christians as we start a brand new, a brand new year. As we take the pulse of the world today, it sounds a lot like we're dealing with what the children of Israel dealt with in Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 15 through 48, where we find the curses of a nation under judgment are listed there. And the passage reads like a detailed description of America, present-day America. Yet, despite these judgments, we refuse to repent. In fact, we have stiffened in our rebellion against God. In our schools, we have abolished prayer. We've removed the Ten Commandments and banned the distribution of Bibles. Listen to us. We have terrorized our teachers into believing they will lose their jobs if they mention God to their students. We have even mandated the teaching of evolution and have prohibited the truth of creationism. We are in the process of legalizing and encouraging sodomy. We're handing out condoms and needles to our youth. We're going out of our way to protect every expression of infanity and obscenity. America is thumbing its nose at God. The Supreme Court is in rebellion against God. Our Congress is hardened against God. Our bureaucracy could care less about God. And our educational system has banned God. In the words of Donald Willman, the truth is that we are anything but a Christian nation. Our behavior as a nation makes a mockery of Christianity. We lead the world in every abomination known to man. Abortion, alcoholism, drug addiction, gambling, divorce, child abuse, violent crime, pornography, and yes, even child pornography. Worse yet, we export our violence and our immorality to other countries throughout society. Through our movies and our TV programs, we have become the moral polluter 
of the planet Earth. That's what you get when you put a spiritual stethoscope on the heart of America. America has diminished itself. And if we're not careful as a church, as the Lord's church, the only hope for the world is us standing against these kinds of odds. But I came today to let you know that God is still in charge. Thank God he's still in charge because the resume that America continues to write is a bad resume. I feel like Paul this morning in Rome chapter 10 verses 1 through 3 where he says, uh, brethren, my heart's desire for Israel and I want to substitute America. Our heart's desire for America ought to be that she will be saved. For I can bear America record that she has a zeal of God in some ways, but not according to knowledge. America has gone about establishing her own righteousness since she is ignorant of the righteousness of God. And as a result, she has not submitted herself to the righteousness of God. Somebody sent me a post last week that sickened me. I had not heard it, but I have not been the same since. This person sent me a post where President Trump said he has done more for Christianity than Jesus. Now, that's where we are. That's where we are, folks. As members of the body of Christ, we have a leader who claims he's done more for Christianity than Jesus himself. When you talk about pomp and pride, the Bible says pride goes before destruction. Now, I don't know what God has planned for any of us or for our president. But I do know that pride goes before destruction. Goes before fall. So I want to encourage you, when you look at that kind of resume of the country in which we live, any Christian worth his salt ought to be asking, Lord, have mercy, what can I do? I'm living in the midst of this. We're seeing it firsthand. Nobody has to tell us about this. We're witnessing this firsthand. And if we don't pay attention, Lord have mercy on our children. Tell you, during the day I look at these children and I say, Lord, I, I, I'm so glad that I didn't have to grow up in a time like they're having to grow up in. And I feel bad for them. And, and then when you see parents who are not taking care of their business, Teaching their children to get good jobs and to go to good schools, but not teaching them how to live for Jesus. And that's a formula for disaster. Formula for disaster. If you really want your children happy, teach them how to make a good living, but teach them how to serve God first. To seek the kingdom first, because all the money in the world won't take you to heaven. 
Dying with plaques on your wall won't take you to heaven. We need to learn how to be living gifts to each other. That's what we talked about right after Christmas. You know, we were speaking briefly <coughs> this morning, a couple of us, about how we celebrate Christmas. But you, you need to know, those of you who may have missed last Sunday night's service, where we were talking about becoming living presents, I have to drop this to you because I try to keep all of us on the same page because everybody doesn't come to every service. I'm just telling you the truth. I'm not meddling because that's your business. That's between you and God, not between you, me, and God. But because of that, I have to continue repeating the same things in different settings so everybody can get the message. The message on last Sunday night had to do with becoming living gifts for each other because we talk about the wise men coming to Jesus and giving him gifts. Uh -huh. And that's where the world jumps on and say, well, we're going to determine the kind of gifts that are appropriate to give. And then we've gotten billions of dollars in debt because they pulled our chain and say, well, this thing all boils down to giving each other gifts. But I want you to understand that those three men didn't bring Jesus anything to play with. Those wise men showed up with three gifts, but among them were not rattlers and the latest in Egyptian footwear. Look at the gifts they brought him. Don't just leave it at the gift. They brought him gold which it was indicative of his kingship. They brought him frankincense, which was a perfume, a cologne, which was also a sign of his kingship. And they brought him myrrh. Myrrh was something that you anoint dead bodies with. So in their gifts, they were giving him things that were in, 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 in honor of his birth, his living, and his death. Not a rattler. And the latest pair of Jordans on the child who doesn't even know what a Jordan is, but you bought it because you want to say to the neighbors, I can get one just like you can. You buy your kid a four-wheeler, I can buy mine a four-wheeler. What in the world does that have to do with Jesus? So I suggested last Sunday night that we do something revolutionary. Whereby we won't have any need for any lights and trees and anything else. And that is start giving yourself as a living gift. See, it's easy to buy somebody and something and pass it on to them. What about spending two hours of dedicated time with somebody? Time that they need. What about calling somebody and saying I'm dedicating the, half, the, the, the afternoon today to any needs that you may have? I'll be happy to come by and pick you up and take you somewhere. If you need. I'll be happy to pick up your medication for you. I'll come over and cook for you, wash for you. What are those gifts? are greater gifts than anything you can buy. So I encourage you this year to start even now being living gifts to each other rather than these things you buy 
And before they out of the box good, they have a better version of it. You haven't caught on yet? That they plan us for fools? The one you buy today is out of, it's, it's, it's old already. When are we going to catch on? Look, let me suggest this to you in the midst of all that I've said. Among the challenges for Christians at the beginning of any new year are these. First, understand this. Everything we accomplish in life begins with the individual. Whether we're talking about home, workplace, community, or church, it starts with the individual. The reason we frustrate ourselves over things that are not right as we think is that we know how to fix what the problem is. If you're smart enough to figure out what the problem is, you're smart enough to do something about it. You know, but we got a whole lot of people who are smart when it comes to pointing out the problem, but they become dumb when it talks about how do we solve it. See, some people think they only have the gift of pointing out problems. We got a lot of folks who are expert at that. They can tell you all day long until tomorrow what's wrong with the church, what's wrong with folk in the church. And then when you say, well, what do we do to fix it? Well, I, I leave that up to y'all. Well, why don't you leave the criticizing up to somebody else? Why don't you leave the pointing out? So here's what I'm saying to us. Every one of us is going to have to dedicate ourselves all over again because of where we find ourselves in this world. Now it gets, strap on, strap in, and come closer. The degree of our satisfaction with anything is in direct proportion to our responsibility to address it. I'm going to say that again. The degree of your dissatisfaction with anything. See, because when you see something and you don't like it, then evidently you have something in your mind that's saying it would have been better like this, right? So the degree of your satisfaction with anything is in direct proportion to our responsibility to address it. In other words, whatever you think is missing in the home, in the workplace, in the community, or the church, is your call to action. If you're wise enough to see the problems, you should be just as wise in addressing them. And that begins with you. Be the change, someone said that you want to see in the world. The change that you're hoping for begins with you. Maybe we'll stop hoping for so much if we start understanding that the change we want begins with us. Don't criticize the outcome of an election if you didn't vote. You have no right to be critical. Don't criticize what the church does if you're not a participating member. Secondly, use criticism to strengthen your resolve rather than dampen your spirit. 
Now this is for the old to the young, uh, the young to the old, the in between. Use criticism because it's surely going to come. It's surely going to come. So you need to find ways to use criticism to strengthen your resolve rather than dampen your spirit. All along Paul's journeys, pay attention now. The Lord allowed things to happen to him to strengthen his resolve to do what he was doing. Because the Lord knows that the only way we're going to be strengthened in our resolve to continue is if there are constant problems and, and, and roadblocks. Many people become more determined when you tell them they can't do something. You witnesses, right? Let somebody tell you what you can't do. Some of us will work more and we, harder than we've ever worked to prove them wrong. But when it comes to church things, often we allow criticism to dampen our spirit. Paul was the kind of person who thrived in the face of persecution and criticism. Sometimes, folk, we throw in the towel too soon. Satan raises his head and all of a sudden we shrink back. Now we're scared. But, folk, that's the life of a Christian. The Lord is going to see to it. That things happen in our lives that are designed not to destroy us, but to strengthen our resolve. Sometimes we wave the flag prematurely. The white flag, that is. But I want you to know today that the stuff that fuels and grows endurance is called trouble. Everything God allowed Paul to experience in preaching the word was necessary for him to keep doing what he was doing. Every time the crowd shouted out for his death, Paul's attitude was, do it. He didn't tell anybody, I'm scared. He didn't start trembling. When they threatened Paul, his attitude was, do it. That's the only way you're going to stop me. But our attitude is often to run or to become silent. Paul says, I, I tell them that because I can't help from teaching you the things that I've seen and that I've heard. And I've kept back nothing that was profitable to you in Acts 20, 27. And then in Acts 21, he says, I have not shunned to declare unto you all of the counsel of God. Acts 21, 14. When Paul would not be persuaded after they kept telling him. Now, the scripture says that the spirit directed, all right, Agabus, the prophet, to tell Paul to not go to Jerusalem. So that says to me that there are times when God will test us as we're doing our work. And he'll even send people with a godly message to us. You know the Holy Spirit wanted Paul to go to Jerusalem. That was work for him there. And even after he went, the Lord never chided him and said, Oh, this is happening to you because you didn't obey. The Lord knew what was waiting for him in Jerusalem, but he allowed others to tell him that so it would cement his resolve. And that's exactly what it did. 
They begged and pleaded with him saying, Paul, the spirit has led us to believe that when you get to Jerusalem, they're going to try to kill you there. And Paul said to them, why are you weeping and trying to break my heart? And see, that's exactly what they wanted, what God wanted them to see in Paul. Can you see that? Why are you weeping and, and trying to break my heart? I'm not only willing to suffer for Christ, I'm willing to die. Now, God didn't need to hear it. He already knew it. But those who were working with him needed to hear it. Sometimes, folks, we need people here to state that same kind of resolve. You know what I'm saying? I mean, we 100% when it comes to watching the game, we're going to be right there even before it starts. But rarely do we hear members of the body stand up and say, I have made up my mind. Lord have mercy. We say amen when somebody mentions it, but how many times have we heard, as for me and my household, we're going to serve the Lord. How many times have you heard anybody get up and say, I don't know what's going on, and I don't care. What I know is that I'm committed to doing God's will. And whatever I do in thought or in word or in deed, I'm going to do it in the name of Jesus. We don't make those kind of statements. We make statements from a weak position. I want to be. You've been wanting to be for 15 years. I plan to be. Lord, help me to be. But have you ever been able to make a resolve about anything spiritual and stick to it? Because, you know, when we want to buy something, we get it on, we buy it, don't we? We do whatever we want to do. But it's strange that when it comes to God, people getting together, we hear so little of people saying, I'm committed to Christ for the long haul. And no matter what you do, I'm going to serve the Lord. I wonder why that is. It may be because that kind of spirit is missing in us. We've gotten accustomed to come and doing what we're doing right now. I'm going to give him 35, 40 minutes. You're not giving me 35, 40 minutes. You're giving God 35, 40 minutes. Same God who gave you 40 hours to work this week. You're giving him 35 minutes and complaining. And then you wonder why we don't do better. You don't have to wonder about that. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure that out. When you show you're not concerned about God, God allows things to happen in the life of individuals and in the life of a church that are warnings. Every one of us here can do better. Every one of us here. You know we're down to starting service about 10-10 because we're waiting for folk to get here. Do you understand that at 10 o'clock we may have half the folk who are going to be here at 10-20? Uh -huh. Where the other half? But if you go to see Uncle Charlie. Now this is sad to have to say it, but it's the truth. You be lined up out there in front of the BJCC like this. Right. 
that speaks of our, that, that's not good for us. It may be funny, but ain't nothing good about that, folks. And we just got into the place now where it's just, I guess after a while, we just have to change the service to 1015. We're not going to do that. Because as surely as we do that, we'd have to change it to 1030. If you're not committed to being at church, then what's going on with you? What's happening for real? When they couldn't stop Paul from going to Jerusalem, here's what they said. We stop asking. When we see that we could not persuade him, we just stopped asking. And said what? The Lord's will be done. See how the Holy Spirit brought them from begging him not to go to now stopping. They're not even asking him anymore. And then they give it over to the Lord. Whatever the Lord wills is what's going to happen. The Lord didn't tell him not to go. He told him what to expect when he got there. The Holy, didn't, the Holy Spirit didn't tell Paul not to. That was the folk. The folk didn't want him to go. But when they spoke to Paul, they said the Spirit says to us that when you get to Jerusalem, the, some, some dirty low down things are going to happen to you there. That was just giving Paul some information. Some of us would have said, mm, I ain't going there. Look, we're going we gonna to go around Jerusalem and go on, on towards Syria. Paul said, I'm not, I'm not hearing that. I'm not trying to hear what you're saying. I understand what awaits me at Jerusalem, but I'm going anyway. We get up and look out the window and it's raining. We ain't talking about going to Jerusalem. We're just talking about coming to the church house. Snow, don't let it get too cold. I don't know what kind of people we've turned out to be. We've been in the church all our lives. It's been raining and snowing and pretty days all our lives. You haven't learned to deal with that yet. You haven't gotten beyond that yet? Yeah, you've gotten beyond it because 7.30 Monday morning. I don't care what it's doing. You headed to work, ain't you? Or if you exercise, you headed to exercise, ain't you? If you run, you out running, ain't you? So why in the world is it that when it comes to godly things, we all of a sudden got a hundred excuses? If your wife doesn't want to go, you come. If your husband doesn't want to go, you come. If your mama don't want to go, you come. If your children don't want to go, get them up and bring them. They're the only ones that don't have a voice in this. They're still living with you, ain't they? What else you letting them do? Because chances are, if you letting them stay at home when they get ready, you letting them do some other things that we don't know about. Some folks say, well, you lie. I, I let my children smoke and drink at the house so at least I know where they are. How foolish can you be? But that's where we are. And some Christians fit that category. 
if you're going to work so much that you can't attend the worship service, then maybe you ought to ask God about that and see what kind of answer he gives you because I can't give you one. I said that to say this. There are brothers and sisters who have been heard telling young preachers, for instance, I mean, just tell us all kinds of things. I'm not young anymore, but I remember hearing it myself. But I, I, I bring it up because Brother Tyson, uh, who spoke over in Atlanta a couple of weeks ago, and I was privileged to listen to him. He said, you know, isn't it strange that uh, some people will tell the preacher to slow down, not preach so hard, a.k.a. don't preach a long time. You don't have to sweat. You don't have to preach until you sweat. So they come with what they consider to be some words of encouragement. Now, slow yourself down. Pace yourself. You don't have to give it all to us at one time. Well, see, the problem with that is that I don't know when my day is. I'm not going to save something for next Sunday when I may die then today. So think about what you say when you tell somebody to slow it down. You're in essence saying you think they're going to live as long as you think they're going to live. When the fact is, none of us knows. When our hour is, so I'm going to preach it to you while I can. In chapter 4, Job's friends come to him and says, tell us what you've done. That was their response to suffering he was going through. They said, tell us what you've done. We know you've done something, Job. Because if you hadn't done anything, God wouldn't be allowing you to go through this. But folks, God allowed Job to go through what he went through so that he could show Satan Job's resolve to do what was right in spite of everything. When his cattle was taken from him and his children were taken from him, his attitude wasn't, I'm finished with God. Job said, naked came I in, out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. When we lose things, when things are taken away from us, we ought to remind ourselves that we came into this world naked without anything, and that's the way we'll leave it. The Lord gives, and he takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Here's a man who's steady in his resolve. See, it can be raining and storming and snowing and everything else. And it's still Job who said, naked came I into my mother, out of my mother's womb. Whatever you wake up to every morning, Job says, here's Job's response. Man that is born of a woman is but a few days. And those days are full of trouble. That includes you too. Rain and snow may be your trouble. But they come. Then when his wife said, why don't you just cuss God and die? The one closest to you says, give up. Wave the white flag. Cuss God and just die. Not only was she suggesting that he just die, but go to hell. She told him, cuss God. So she had a problem with God. Because what she had had been taken away as well. Very selfish kind of attitude. Why don't you cuss God, go to hell, rather than put up what you're putting up with. No wonder he turned to her and said, you talk like a fool. You sound just like a fool. 
Though my Lord slay me, yet will I trust him. Folk, that's the kind of resolve we need at Roosevelt City. No matter what's going on. And folk are not going to do right. You know us. We're going to do right for a little while and then we're going to stop. And then we're going to feel repentant and we're going to do right a little while longer. And then we're going to stop. But blessed be the man who knows that this is an individual race and it is based on endurance. Endurance. Which means you keep on running even when you're tired. When you're thirsty. When your bones start hurting you. You put too much time in. You run too long in the race to stop 10 minutes before you get to the finish line. Don't leave, folk, before the miracle happens. Don't leave before the miracle happens. Mm. Examine the goals you have for yourself as a valued member at Roosevelt City. Because it is only by the grace of God that we are who we are and what we are. But I want to ask you, can you improve as an individual? Because that's where the improvement begins. What kind of people would we be if we never experienced any trouble? That's the definition of a soft church. Just soft, you know, in laid back, cruising, sipping. <laughs> Lay back, cruising, sipping. <laughs> Final few points here, and then I'm going to take my seat. You remember Cyrano de Bergerac. Cyrano de Bergerac was one of the three musketeers. In the movie, there was a line about Cyrano because he had a long nose that said his nose preceded him by a quarter of an hour. Which simply means that you could see Cyrano's nose 15 minutes before you saw the rest of his face. It was that long. I want you to understand that your reputation precedes you. Wherever Paul went in his travels, there were people who couldn't stand him. Some hated him and sought to kill him. But most of the others loved him and sought to touch him or to have a handkerchief that he owned or just to have his shadow pass over them. And the lesson is this, who we are precedes us. When you walk in the door, folk know you because your reputation is out. We ought to be thankful that this race is run on an individual basis. Whatever we are, whatever we are, the Lord has placed us here to be a good for each other. Nobody's here to be a bad influence for us. Everybody's here to be a good influence. Now pay attention. Your stubbornness may cause someone else to be more open-minded. Your pleading with someone to see your side of things may be the very thing they need to develop a mind of their own. Your criticism may be what someone else needs to desire humility and kind-heartedness. You ever thought about that? Your bitterness may be what's needed to show someone else how sweet they are in comparison to you. 
I'm saying to you that everything you bring to this forum can be used for the betterment of every other person here. It's all about whether or not you choose to use it. If you do, the Lord will help you in it so that you can be a blessing to the church and not a curse. Can you hear me, Roosevelt City? If you hear it, then take it seriously. And whatever you need to do, do it. Even if you don't let us know you're going to do it. The main thing is that you do it. In the name of Jesus, may he give us the strength to be better today than we were yesterday. And to reach some place where we can make one spiritual statement about who we are. One more than just I'm a Christian. What does that mean? What are you committed to? What do you do every day? Is any of your time during the day devoted to service to God? I'm just asking. I'm asking myself, just like I'm asking you. Whatever you need to do, resolve that you're going to do that. Through Jesus Christ our Lord who died that we might live. If there are those of you who are not members of the body, we can't even begin to talk to you about these things because there's something else more important. You got to get in the body first because the body is where salvation is. Jesus is the Savior of the body, Colossians 1, 18 and 24, which is the church. And we leave that with you this morning as we stand and sing this song.